Hello everyone, welcome to Sinopore Collective. This is Jia Ying, and today we're honored to have Mr. Chen Chao Yu from Faith Group to share with us about his experience and journey in faith. So some introduction about our speaker. Mr. Yu is currently the co-founder of Faith, Southeast Asia's leading merchant digital platform. Founded in 2016, most of us may know Faith by its vouchers and deals platform. So today, besides distributing coupons for merchants and issuing cashback rewards to customers, Faith is also tapping into new verticals such as financial services and transforming its platform into a merchant super app. Its mobile payment service, Faith Pay, is listed among the five most actively used e-wallet platforms in both Singapore and Malaysia. So before starting Faith, Mr. Yeo was in Groupon Asia Pacific, including Groupon Malaysia and Taiwan. So prior to Groupon, he was a product manager at Jobstreet.com and a management consultant at Accenture. Mr. Yeo was also a graduate from Cornell University and an Eisenhower Fellow. Let us welcome Mr. Yeo. Hello, Mr. Yeo. Hi, Diane. Really appreciate for having me. Looking forward to be in this podcast. Yes, hello. We are so happy to have you today. So is it okay if I call you CC from now onwards? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I appreciate okay, that. all right. Uh, let us start from the very beginning of Faith. So CC, can you briefly share with us about Faith's journey? What inspired you to join and grow with Faith? Yeah, so I think back then, maybe I turn back the clock, right? So back in 2010, Joel and Kylie started uh, Group Small. And then in early 2011, Groupon acquired that business. I joined Groupon just after at that moment in 2011 together with Joel. And since then, we built Groupon from, for Asia, Malaysia and eventually leading the operations for Asia Pacific. In 2015, we decided to quit Groupon and start our own journey. So at that time, we launched KFit. So it's a fitness sharing platform. And in 2016, we rebranded KFit into Faith and we also acquired Groupon in Malaysia, Singapore, and Indonesia. So then transformed that into, yeah, blended into, integrate, rebranded the whole thing into Faith. And then since 2017, we've been building Faith for the last four years. Mm, wow, so Faith is actually a very young company uh, from 2016 till now. So we understand that in Singapore, the adoption of e-payment platforms at the start was not very smooth or welcome. What are some challenges that you face when approaching merchants to accept Faith's uh, payment platform? And how did Faith overcome the challenges? Yeah, so I think for us, we, we launched our Faith Pay in Singapore around third quarter of 2017. And I would say that the adoption of Singapore from the start was actually very strong. So we actually see the early mover into the picture and basically driving the consumer. So basically, faith pay went on where customers pay full price at it. So back then, think of it, that time was a deals business, right? That we acquired from Groupon, where customer buying voucher at a discount. So we knew that uh, merchants want a full paying customers with great value and we want customers to be getting full value of it. So we launched Faith Pay where customers pay full price and get a cashback for the same store. And for the merchant, they get the loyalty of customers to stay within them. So I would say that generally at the start has been pretty smooth sailing, especially for Singapore. I think that the merchant side is, I think both merchant and consumer side, I think Singapore being a savvy market is quite good. And I think that one maybe one big difference for us is that for, for Faith, we are not an e-wallet. So for e-wallet, basically, consumer need to top up. But whereas Singapore is a very credit card-centric market, 
and hence the our product suits into them where it serves those that have a credit card and basically be able to drive that. Yeah, so I think that was how we started and basically building on. And I think since then, close to 20,000 businesses in Singapore are now on Faith Platform. And every month, close to three four hundred thousand Singaporeans are transacting on Faith Platform, right? And think of it, it's about 10% or more adult population Singaporean will use Faith for at least four or five times a month. So um, can you share with us how Faith is utilizing its platform or technology in helping the local merchants to grow their business? Yeah, so I think one is that one, uh, we, we are a technology company. So we are technology building uh, quite a lot of forward-looking technology. And one of the things is that the, so today we are enabling our faith solutions into several other platforms. So today, for example, in Singapore, the, you can get faith pay inside DBS Payla app, or you can get faith pay inside Singtel Dash app. And there'll be more platforms in Singapore that will be availing this uh, faith pay solutions inside their platform soon, right? So basically think of it is that, and this basically enable a merchant. So think of it today, you are a restaurant in Singapore. Once you sign on Faith, your offer will not just be in Faith, but you also be in DBS Payla and Singtel Dash, and then soon in a few other platforms. So I think that will enable a very wide region. So I think between these few apps, every Singaporean will have at least one of the apps. And I think that will enable the users to be able to go through and merchant to tap anyone, any consumer that has any of these apps. All right. So leveraging on all the platforms is really a good strategy to expand Faith's market in Singapore. Moving on, let us talk about your experience in the different countries. So having experience of living or working in different Asian countries, what are some differences in consumer behaviors in Singapore, China, or Malaysia, or other Asian countries that you have observed? Yeah, so I think over the years, I have operated in think, 13 of the Asian countries, so the East Asia's, Japan, Korea, China, uh, Taiwan, as well as Hong Kong, as well as the in Southeast Asia's, or the Southeast Asian market, India, as well as Australia, New Zealand. So I would say that the, there are definitely some differences. And I think that if you look at China, China is definitely cutting edge, right? Way advanced than everyone else. So I think a lot of our learning actually go towards to China as well to see what works and what doesn't work. So example, Faith Pay. How did we start Faith Pay? We actually went on trips, a couple of trips to China, and we actually meet with all the players there. We actually meet with merchants there, meet with consumers there, and to observe and speak to them to understand what works. Why do people use Alipay or WeChat Pay in China at that time, right? This was back in 2017. Right, and that from those learnings, we came back and say, okay, understanding those, what can we apply to Southeast Asia? So I think for China, the transformation, I think from the consumer perspective, is that convenience. People use the e-wallets basically for value, for convenience, right? And so it's like today people are uh, already expected it, and I think that for Singapore and let's take Singapore versus Malaysia. So Singapore is a very credit card centric market. So basically, that people already get their credit card reward points. Then it's how do we tap onto that segment? And then let's say we take a Malaysia credit card is only only about eight to ten percent of the population has a credit card. So then the the tapping into it is a very different, right? So then it's how do you expand the market to beyond? And I think that's where today we are not only working with credit cards, we're also working with e-wallets like GrabPay, Boost, Ovo, etc. Right. So I think that basically connecting into different segments. 
And I think that if you look into a different market, the it, let's say take Indonesia. Indonesia did very only less than one percent population has a credit card. So the market segment then the e-wallet became super important because that likelihood will be the first bank account or first account that they can store money, right? Because a lot of people in Indonesia don't have a bank account. And that, even as of today, right? And I think that let's say whereas in Singapore, pretty much everyone has a bank account, even when from a student time, right? So I think that's sort of a different behavioral and hence it drives different aspects for different markets. So we understand that Faith has been constantly learning from other tech companies in China, such as Alibaba and Meituan. And we have heard just now that you have learned quite a lot of things from them. So how has this that you have learned influenced you in pivoting your business along the way? Yeah, so I think that a lot of it is understanding that because China is way advanced, right? So, so I think a lot of one is I just want to talk about how we learn from China to start Faith Pay, right? I think the other one is that I think from time to time we actually not I wouldn't say it's just China, but China is definitely one of the most key components. Like just before COVID as well, I spent two weeks in Alibaba campus, uh, learning under the eFounders program to meet with different groups and thinking on how Alibaba do things. And of course, during that period of time, get a chance to meet with different folks there. I think beyond China, we also learn from let's say in US. So last year as well, I, I spent a week in Boston. Uh, at Harvard University speaking on faith together with PayPal, together with N Financial, to get that and basically sharing to the Harvard University students. And I think that from there we have a different interaction with different platforms, different players to think from US perspective. And of course India is another big learning. So I think today uh, Pine Labs just acquired Faith last month. So the, the Pine Labs is a giant in the fintech, one of the best fintech in, in the Asia. So they, they have processed 25 to 50 billion US dollar worth of transactions and it's a fintech unicorn. So I think that for us learning from India as well, there are many platforms that they are doing very well. So of course, so I think these are several aspects that we're learning. Of course, other regions as well, whether Japan, Korea, there are aspects that we can pick up. So I think that the learning point across or even Indonesia, I think in Southeast Asia, Indonesia is a forefront of a lot of the different aspects that is built for the, the more below middle class. And of course, Singapore has a lot of cutting edge for the middle class and middle upper class. So what advice would you give to the young entrepreneurs, especially for Southeast Asia, who are deciding to start their business or in the midst of modifying their direction of business? Yeah, so I think for the, to start a business, right, to start an entrepreneurship journey, I think great congrats for thinking, going on this path to think about it. I think one thing to think about would be that what problem that you really care about? Do you really care about a consumer problem? Uh, which kind of consumer? Do you care about solving what problem that you try to solve, right? Whether it's a transportation that you try to solve, whether you try to solve the problem for the SME, in the collecting payment or is it a loyalty or in which aspect that you care about so i think start fall in love with a problem don't fall in love with an idea idea will change but along the time i think the problem solving thinking is that uh, focusing on that and i will say that as you go on that i think one concept that the thing about will be you want to think very big so as you want to start something think very big think very fast five years ten years what's the whole market that you potential that you can build upon and then also zoom back down and ask ourselves and say, hey, what is the, 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 the thing that we can start? Because if you think super big, then you need to pick a point to start. So think big, start small. Start on something that you can manage and build on. 
And then from there, whatever work, scale faster. And then whatever fail, not doesn't work, fail fast as well. Right? So think big, start small, fail fast, scale faster. Right? So I think it's that going on that and be okay to accept failure and doesn't work. Because as a startup journey, I think that one of the most important ingredients is not about you not smart enough. It's not about you not hardworking enough. I think those are generally expected and you can do it. The key is accepting things that doesn't work. And how do you handle rejection? How do you handle failures? And I think that would be what, and it's going to be a long journey. Startup is not a glamorous, if you want to make money, there are many other ways easier to make money. You want to live a good life, glamorous life, good uh, then there are many other ways to do it. But I think startup is a, is a passion as a build through this and enjoying to make a transformation in people's life. And I think whatever solution that you create for your target audience, how do you make it easier, cheaper, better, faster for them? And making a life, their lives much more meaningful and rewarding with what your solution is. Yes, I totally agree with you. And I really like your quote with uh, falling in love with problem and not falling in love with the idea. I think it really depends on how you handle the rejection and failures and still hold on to your belief in the very beginning. So uh, moving on, we all know that entrepreneurs don't usually go on a smooth sail. So how do you deal with setbacks and negative encounters at the workplace or with investors? Yeah, so I think that setbacks is expected and you will definitely face a bunch of setbacks. So I think that's one is that I think putting our ego aside, putting and, and be strong mentally. And I think that's key. And I think that in terms of handling setback is that knowing that life goes on, things will happen. And I think is be able to take a look at a problem and then solve it. Right. And I think one of the tricks, one of the maybe tips to think of a solving is that let's say example you need to close off some of the business or you need to retrench some people. So I would say that you look at this problem and still divide into two parts. One is the logical part. Should you shut down a vertical business or one of your countries or should you retrench some of the people? The decision to do that should be logical based on a bunch of numbers, based on a bunch of metrics, based on a bunch of the details that you have, you make that decision. Should I do that? Once you have made that decision, what is more important is then, is that how do you handle that? How do you communicate that? How do you convey that? And I think that's where the acting emotionally, using your emotional part of you to do onto others what you wish others do onto you. Let's say with COVID and you have to lay off some people. You have to do a deep pay cut to people or whatnot, right? You have to pull out from a country. You have to shut down a product that you have launched with a big hoo-ha, right? So... Yeah, the logical decision has been made. Now you have to do it. So how do you do it in the right way with the dignity? And I think a lot of times what I will ask is that think of if I'm in these people's shoes, what I wish others do onto me. So I think it's do do that, right? And I think a lot of times that could be the guiding principle. And then whenever in doubt, lead with your heart. Go back to your heart and ask yourself, what is the right thing to do? Because we will face a lot of bits. And I think a lot of times, every entrepreneur will face lots of hardships. Things always look greener outside. Things always look fantastic from outside. But there is always lots of challenges. I think entrepreneurs love challenges and solve challenges. Right? So I think the... And I think even all the very successful entrepreneurs, if you talk to them, they will tell you that they have so much war stories. 
so much challenges. I think a lot of time when I chat with all the fellow entrepreneurs, there's just so many things that go through. And a lot of times when you read a great news, so example, you read a company has just raised a round of funding. Chances are, yes, they did raise a round of funding, but the behind the scene is that likelihood they have been rejected many times. Let's say, for example, each time when we raise a round of funding, the likelihood being rejected maybe 50 times, 100 times. And the only thing is that after those rejections, we didn't give up, we continued trying, and eventually we land an, a, an, a good investor invest in us. So I think a lot of it is that, and not like, oh, we go out there, and then we will get it smooth sailing, so that it will not be. And I think it's maybe one other thing here is enjoy the journey of the entrepreneurship. Enjoy the ride. Don't enjoy the destination. The destination is just a point, but enjoy it. The last thing you want is you suffer through this many years building it, and then hoping that it will be a good outcome at the end that you can retire with, right? But I think that is you need to love the thing because over time, you're going to go through a lot of hardship and the day that you will fail is the day that you give up. Yes, there's a, a really a lot of persevering. I really like how you enjoy the journey and not the destination in the process of dealing with all those setbacks and negative encounters. Okay, so uh, Mr. Yo, can you give us an example of such challenge that you have faced? For example, at the midst of COVID-19, how did you uh, or how did Faith deal with this challenge? Yeah, so I think with COVID, during uh, COVID-19, our business did get significantly impacted, right? Because we serve the offline businesses, the restaurants, the beauty wellness, the tourist destination, the services, the hotels. And I think, you know, with all the lockdown, let's say whether circuit breaker or whichever terms that different countries provided, there will be restrictions. Let's say like right now, Singapore has no dining, right? And 50% uh, of business actually coming from there. So I think it's how do we handle and adapt? So I think those are definitely setbacks. Let's say last year, when that happened, when all the countries all at one go, and we never know how COVID will unfold. Then I think that that definitely hit us significantly our business went down we had to do pay cut and i still remember that we had to plan through and say how do we take difference so i think the founders we took 100 pay cut first and then the way the senior leadership take more pay cut and then the rest take some pay cut but we what we also do is that make sure that certain employee below a certain income level did not get a pay cut so example for singapore anyone earning below three thousand sing dollar did not get a pay cut Right? So I think it's make sure that at least everyone has some debt control and then go through. And we also create an internal fund that provided by the leadership team to lend money to anyone in the team who need that. So I think that's definitely one bit uh, of that. And I think it's work through that journey on it. And so I think that as we look at those kind of setbacks is that things could happen, things will happen. And I think it's make it clear. So I say when we go to the team and say there would be a pay cut. I think one is sure the team, at what level of revenue rebounds, things will be back. And, and at what point we will be gradually doing rebounds back, right? So I think I still remember for the Singapore pay cut started in June last year. And basically by September, the team get back pretty much most of their salary. And by October, they get back full salary. So I think, yes, there's a few months that go through, but I think it's that be very clear with the team and how to see the rebounds, right? So I think 
that will be one of the journey. And and one thing is as we go through this COVID, at that time China had it first. So one of the things is actually learning from people from China and seeing how did they handle it. Because they were 30, 45 days ahead of us in Southeast Asia. So what are the things happening? And I think now we have seen US, Europe has handled COVID vaccinated and things are opening up. So we are now learning from US, Europe on how we're going to do things we will transform once more people has been vaccinated. Let's say Singapore now, we're at 30 percent people have been vaccinated. Malaysia is about 4-5%. Uh, so, so how do we get through as we have this thing handled? Yes, I think this really depends on how do we adapt to the current situation? How do we learn from others who are doing better? So it kind of like learning by standing on the shoulder of the giants. Moving on to the next question, as an entrepreneur, Mr. Yo, how do you maintain a work-life balance? Yeah, so I think the work-life balance is definitely not easy. Not something that is uh, automatic, but I think that and it's never perfect. I think in the end is we make choice. And I think we choose what we want and I think prioritize into it. So I think all of us have 24 hours, whether you are the president of the country, prime minister, whether you are a big-time CEO or you are anyone else, right? So all of us have 24 hours. And I think we have seen a lot of busy people have a very great work-life balance, right? So let's say you look at Anthony Tan from Grab. I think he handled his wealth perfectly, right? Despite being very successful with his business, I think that he balanced family time, his church time, his health, and his friends and everything, right? I think he's someone that is definitely a role model that I look up upon, how well you handle. And I think that is a learning journey. So let's say for me, exercise was something that I didn't prioritize for a long time. And only in the last maybe six months, I started building into a habit. And once you build into a habit, it became something that sticks to you and you continue doing it. So I think it's how do we be able to consistently doing that and build atomic habit. So I think that one bit about that is that and make little, little change at a point. And every bit is a progress from there. Let's say living healthier, right? And I think a lot of it is that what matters is you, your, your choice point. How do you balance sleep? How do you balance work? How do you balance friendships? How do you balance leisure? How do you balance your side other things that you're working on, right? And I think family and whatnot. So, so all of us have a different balance. And I think in the end is think, reflect about it and make your choice and work towards that choice. And I think that one is that we all have some choice to manage in our life. Although a lot of times we feel that, oh, my life is being controlled by every other thing, right? But I think in the end is you make a choice and learn how to say no. If there are certain things you can't do, say it, right? And say it in a good way, right? And then you'll be able to handle through. So because we will all have too many things at a certain point and we will make a bigger choice, choose what things we can do at this point, what things we can't do at this point. Yes, I think learning how to say no is definitely a skill that we all have to learn once we enter the workforce. So we have come to the last part of our question. Moving on into the future, from your observations, what are some consumer or business trends that you foresee in the future? Yeah, so I think that consumer and businesses both way will always want things easier, cheaper, better, faster. Right, so I think that is a given. Right, so I think if you think on it, think of, let's say, take payments. Consumer will want the payments to be even more seamless, smoother, whether when they go out shops to pay, whether they pay buy things online. So they want to be easier. 
they will want it cheaper. And I think from business standpoint as well, right? How what's the cost of transactions today? How do you bring it lower? And then how do you make it more secure as you go through? How do you make it faster? So think of it is that as you, as you think of it, as each of us reflect, think of it, and then consumer is the easier one to think about because we're all consumer. So which are the things that today you currently have to do that you think it can be better? Which are the things that actually, each time you do it, it's like, hey, why this one is so much, so troublesome? Why I need to do these three, four things to do this? And, and those are all potential for you to be able to say, now, hey, I can make a transformation in this. I can simplify this. I can make this easier, faster, and whatnot. So I think a lot of it, the trend will transform to this day. And I think that technology will come and go. Things will change, things will transform. But I think the key part is that don't do technology or innovation for the sake of innovation. I think each of that is that think of what problem you try to solve. And those innovation or problem help to solve that. So let's say, for example, the payment process is too slow. So let's say back then, the e-wallets come in, basically it helped to solve the payment problems for people that who don't have a credit card, a debit card, right? And I think think of people that with credit cards, what are the challenges that they face? And how do you create solutions to solve for that? And then let's say right now, buy now, pay later is a latest trend, which means that basically a lot of people that want to spend, but they may not be able to easily get a loan. How do you get a simple, quick loan? across all the daily lives that they go through. So that may be one of the aspects, right? So I think that thing of it, let's say but when we do fake pay, why the tens of thousands of merchants adopting it? Because merchants want to reward loyalty for their own customers. But then they, they don't have an easy solution for them to be able to do that. So I think that's where we create that solution that for them to be able to then serve their customers. Mm. So I think the key is understanding the consumer's problem and pain and think from the perspective of what are the problems that we are going to solve. So Mr. Yo, can you share with us what Faith is focusing now and maybe share with us as well what are Faith's plans going forward? So I think for us is uh, continually building and innovating, right? So I think there are a couple of things. So I think one of it is that we we'll definitely will be building on more convenience and innovation into the picture. So I think one is that today people use FaithPay in the offline world, restaurants, retailers and everything. I think in this new norm with COVID, so I think online will definitely be something. So we have launched together with Lovet already, uh, with in a partnership with Shopkada, where they can buy from them on and via on, online and basically be able to pay via FaithPay and earn a cashback. And I think these features will be turned on to many more merchants as we go along and will continue to expand on it. So I think that's definitely one bit. Buy now, pay later will be one of the features that will be coming on board soon as well. So I think that will be definitely one bit. And the other one is soon there will be a couple more platforms, large platforms in Singapore that will also accept FaithPay besides DBS PayLa and also Singtel Dash that currently accept. So I think that's definitely several aspects. And I think for us as well, one of the market that we are going to launch or rather launching will be India. So that will be definitely be something that exciting for us. How do we bring the solutions that built from Southeast Asia into this huge market called India? Right? I think that not many Southeast Asian business have expanded to India. Many Indian business have expanded to Southeast Asia. But how do we now reverse the flow? Take a technology that's built within here to be able to bring it to that market and be able to hopefully penetrate that market.
Yes, that's really interesting. India is really a huge market with great potentials to look on. And like what you mentioned, models such as buy now, pay later is definitely going to change our consumer experience or behavior in the future. And we really look forward to how this will work out in the future. All right, we have come to the end of our episode today. So once again, thank you, Mr. Yu, for joining us today. Thank you for your time. And I think we really had a fruitful conversation with you. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate having me. And I think to all of y'all out there, listeners, I think we wish that you pick up one, two tips. And I think for those of you who are interested to build into entrepreneurship journey, yeah, go for it. There's never a best time for it. I think just go for it. And I think just ensure that you build on. Think big, start small, fail fast, scale faster. All the best. Thanks a lot, Jayin, for having me. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.